Um, Father Stephen is here. He graduated from LSU in 2002 and entered the CFRs in 2008. He was actually, fun fact, he was at seminary with Father Andrew, which is like the worst time to be at seminary. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. You need to hear my confession later, probably. <laughs> is he out there? <laughs> oh, good. All right, he caught me. Awesome. But a little bit about the CFRs and the Franciscans in general. Their primary ministry um, is to work with the poor and those vastly underprivileged. So we're going to hear from a man who's got a lot of experience serving the Lord firsthand with his own hands. Pretty sweet, you know. That's the kind of guy I want to listen to. They, they also, another pillar of the Franciscans is they focus on evangelization a whole lot. So we're going to hear once again from somebody who's, who's done it, who's been out in the world and who's done it. So... I'm pumped about it. I hope you guys are too. So without any further ado, since you guys don't want to listen to the tall, awkward guy talk anymore, let's bring Father up. It's good to be with you guys. I, uh, I'm not partially awkward. I'm totally awkward. <laughs> and that's good because that's how God made me, right? And at times that was difficult and that was uncomfortable and that was awkward. But it's good, right? The Lord does what he wants to do, and he creates us the way he wants to create us. And that's all that matters. I, uh, thank you. My mom's here tonight, as well as a lot of my family. Make sure the seats were full. They all came. So I was speaking to my mom a few years ago on the phone. I live up in Newark, New Jersey, of all the places in the world. God called this man from the bayous of South Louisiana to move up there. And the wrestling of my own heart with that, that's part of the story. I'll get to that. I was speaking to my mom five years ago or so, and she told me a story about one of my nieces, my niece, Mary Elizabeth. At that time, she was a young girl. And mom asked her, what do you want to do when you grow up, Mary? And Mary responded, I want to be just like my daddy. And mom said, that's great. You want to be a lawyer. And before I get to what Mary Elizabeth told her, a little background, my brother's a lawyer. From what I can tell, he's very successful, he loves his family, and he takes time off of work to be able to spend with his little girl, the father's love in his heart, to be with her, to drive her around to her different, whatever it is, soccer games, whatever she was doing at the time. So Mary Elizabeth saw what her father was doing, and she responded to the question, my dad's a lawyer? No, I want to be just like my dad. I want to drive around in the car all day and talk on the phone. And that's important. Mary Elizabeth saw what the father is doing. Mary Elizabeth saw what her dad is doing, but she totally missed the big picture of the sacrifice that he was making in order to be there, in order to be present in her life. What I'd like to propose tonight is that God the Father is doing all kinds of things in our life, but we're missing it because we see what's going on, but we don't see his love in it. We don't recognize his presence in it. Sometimes we feel like we're just being pushed off the cliff, but we don't realize it's God's hand pushing us off the cliff, and he actually wants to teach us to fly. We just ball up and get fearful, embrace for the impact as we fall and hit the ground. So the gospel passage I was asked to speak about tonight is from the gospel of Matthew. And if Jesus is this divine teacher, he puts us in situations so that we can learn there's a lot to be learned from the scriptures to integrate that into our life of this father who protects us, 
Although we get pushed a little bit, it's for our own good. You can't learn to fly until the mama kicks the little ones out of the, out of the nest, right? So Jesus portrays Matthew, the first gospel writer, portrays Jesus as the teacher, amongst other things, but the teacher. In fact, Matthew's name means the disciple. The same term that we get disciple from is very similar to the Greek term that we get the learner from, the student. But Matthew didn't start off as Matthew. Matthew's original name is Levi. Levi means the one who accompanies. And the big difference between somebody who simply accompanies Jesus or allows Jesus, or we, if we allow Jesus to accompany us in our life, is radically different than actually being a disciple. Not only being a student of Jesus, but being one who learns from an experience of our life in communion with him, even when it looks like we might be getting pushed around a little bit. It's for our own good, and it's to teach us to trust in him more deeply. So my proposal tonight, the thesis of this talk for you college students, right? What's the thesis? God wants to teach us that he will provide for us, that he will be with us. However, he will allow situations where grace hits the fan and it goes all over the room and it's uncomfortable because it's for our own good and it's a challenge for us to grow. So let's, let's look at the gospel, right? If Jesus is this divine teacher, he's teaching his disciples in the gospel constantly. So the reading tonight is from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. It's a story we've all heard at one point or another in our life of Peter walking on the water, starting to sink, and our Lord's there. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Thanks be to God, my mom gave me glasses, or I wouldn't be able to see. Thank you, Mom. This is going to be a feat if I can get through this up here. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after he had dismissed them, he went up a mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, beaten by the waves, because the wind was strong. That's important. Remember that. The wind was strong. During the fourth watch of the night, 3 a.m., Jesus went out to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear, but Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, I am. Lord, if it is you, Peter explained, Peter exclaimed, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him, and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. 
Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. A quick story. I'll try to integrate it into the gospel and be done in my time frame. I live up in New Jersey. I grew up in Thibodeau. It's basically the same thing. You might get eaten by alligators in Thibodeau or you might get shot on the streets in Newark. My, apologize, my apologies to anyone who, of you who may be from Newark, but you get it, right? You've seen it if you are from there. So one of my biggest fears is to leave the friary in the middle of the night. Close your ears, mom. Leave the friary in the middle of the night and get broken down on the side of the road. I'm one of the most fortunate guys in the world. I've got five cars to choose from in the back of my friary, and they're all jalapos. They've all been donated to us because we don't buy vehicles, we don't buy groceries, we live off the providence of God, and if God wants us to have something, he provides it for us through generous friends. And if we're not supposed to have it, we don't get it, and it's God's will for our life. And people are so good to us, we have to say no to a lot of things, right? So we have a limit on what our cars can be like. So I move into our friary in Newark about a year and a half ago. There's a brother flying in from Honduras that night. That means it's going to be a really late flight coming in, and somebody's got to go to the airport in the middle of the night to pick him up. I'm the new guy in the friary. Guess who gets volunteered to go? Me. No big deal, right? I noticed that we have a 15-year-old Toyota which means it's got to be reliable. It's a Toyota. So I check the brother's flight, keeps getting delayed, keeps getting delayed. Finally, he gets clearance to land at about 2 o'clock in the morning. Thank you, Lord, for keeping me up all night, right? I go downstairs. I grab the keys for the Toyota. It's going to get me there safe and sound and back. I leave the parking lot, and I'm on the way to the airport, and we're only like 10 minutes from the airport. Not a big deal at all. All the lights on the dashboard go crazy. No big deal. All our cars, lights on the dashboard go crazy. The power steering goes out. I pull over on the side of the road. The engine dies. So I say a prayer to the Lord. Help me. I'm terrified of this. I stand up outside. I open the hood, and I hold the jumper cables, right? The universal sign for I'm broken down, and I need help. My worst fear has partially come true, right? I think I've worked through the major things in life, a fear of death and suffering and things like that, but getting stranded on the side of the road is still one of the smaller things I need to work through. A taxi cab stops, and I realize I'm at the total mercy of whoever it is that stops. Could be a gang leader. Could be somebody who just wants to look after a religious brother, right? This taxi cab driver stops, she gets out of the car. She looks at me, and I say, it's okay. I'm a Catholic priest. I just need a jump. Her face lights up. She does a little dance, and she says, I too am Catholic. I'm a charismatic Catholic from Nigeria. She starts praying over the car, and I'm thinking, right, like, <laughs> I'm the religious professional here. I, I should have thought of this. We pray together. She jumps the car. Perfect. I say goodbye. I thank her. She drives away. I get in the car, and my prayer at this point is, Father, please let me get to the airport and find Father Felix before this thing breaks down again. And he listened to my prayer. I get to the airport. I find Father Felix. Father Felix gets in the car, and before he can let out through exhaustion of being in transit for so long, get me to the friary. Car breaks again. And I'm there at the pickup terminal in Newark Airport, 
And the police are telling me, son, you got to get out of here. And I'm telling them, officer, I want to get out of here a lot more than you want me to get out of here. I've broken down. He says, well, call a taxi truck. I say, I can't. I don't have a cell phone. He says, well, I'll call one for you. I said, that's a problem, too, because I don't have a credit card. Nor more than $25 in my wallet to get me out of here. He says, all right, we'll figure it out. So taxi cab driver comes. Taxi cab driver says, I can just get you off of the airport. Great. Things are going good at this point. We get right out of the airport, just to clear us out of the way of traffic. And he pulls over on the side of the road, right at the moment where he realizes we're just not freaks dressed like this, we're actually Catholic priests. Now this is right after the time the big scandal hit at the end of last summer. He slams on the brakes, he pulls his truck over on the side of the road, and he swings over to reach behind him really quick. And the first thing that comes into my mind is, this guy's reaching for a gun, he hates priests because of the scandal in the church. I'm gazing in the rearview mirror looking for a quick getaway. I'm out of here. He swings what he grabs over him. I hear the familiar sound of rosaries. He pulls out some rosaries from the bag. He says, I too am Catholic. I'm a charismatic Catholic. <laughs> if you want to know where they all hang out close to the airport in Newark at 3 a.m. in the morning, he prays with us and he doesn't drop us off there. He takes us back to the friary. I go inside to get a check and he's leaving as I'm coming out with a check. He wouldn't accept any money at all. And he works for the company. It came out of his paycheck. God bless him. At that point, the sun's coming up. I'm miserably tired, and I got a busy day ahead of me. And like my task at the Friary can be kind of challenging, and it's really easy for me to become selfish and prideful and be very agitated with the suffering people that come to our door. So I kind of need a good night's rest in order to do what I, I think I need to do, right? So at that moment, I'm feeling sorry for myself. I'm upset. I'm agitated. And I turn around and I see the sunset, the, the sun rising, right? This beautiful sign of the Father's love embedded in nature. That's part of why big city life is so difficult for most of us because we don't get all these, salt, these small signs of his love. And I realized... I can continue with the small, puny, raisin-like heart of mine and feel sorry for myself, or I can actually acknowledge the beauty of what just happened. God pushed me off the cliff, and he provided all the wind for me to be able to fly to recognize his love, his providence, his gifts in my life by providing very good, faithful people who loved and respected the church and the church's priest and took care of me that night. And I realized I had to make a mental shift that God was pushing me to grow, to accept the way he wanted to love me. So let's turn that back and let's go back to the gospel, right? It says Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to sink because he's fearful. What's he fearful of? What is it? I'm sorry? Afraid of drowning. Afraid of drowning, right. What does the scriptures explicitly say? He sees something and it makes him afraid. The wind. He sees the wind. He's afraid of the wind. Peter's not necessarily afraid of the waters. Peter's a fisherman. And the waters throughout all of the scriptures, there's different connotations, but a lot of times it's a place of chaos. It's a place of evil. And Peter, as a fisherman, has grown in courage and he's able to face that. That's why God calls Peter to be a priest because he's able to go out into the world of chaos and evil and be brave and be a man. Peter's afraid of the wind. The wind is an image, a symbol of God, 
In the beginning of the scriptures, the spirit, the wind, God's breath, all translations of the Hebrew term that means wind. This is how God created the world. Confession, right? God breathes life back into you with the words of absolution that the priest gives. The wind is a sign of his presence, of his love. Peter's afraid of what God is doing in his life. Peter is afraid of what God is calling him to. Peter is afraid of addressing his fears, his concerns of what God is calling him to. Peter is not at the point yet where he realizes that wind is going to teach him how to fly. He's just afraid of sinking. So what does Peter do? Calls out on the Lord. And what does the Lord do? The Lord meets Peter exactly where he is and he holds him. They get back in the boat and the wind dies down. The lesson is not over, but the difficulty of that lesson that Peter had to learn that night is over at that point. And so it is in our lives. We reach whatever type of difficulty it is, whether it's something simple, whether it's a real tragedy. The Lord doesn't orchestrate bad things to happen to us. No way. But we live in a world affected by original sin. And therefore, things happen, right? Diseases happen. Relationships get broken. The Lord allows that stuff to push us a little bit so that we can learn to fly with his grace, with his love, with his mercy, to live in freedom rather than just bracing for the impact of the fall. The Lord's there. He loves you, wants a relationship with you. He's teaching us in everything just like he taught the disciples in everything. Right before this incident in the boat, Jesus multiplies loaves of bread. How much more time do I have? Sorry. That's exactly what a speaker should not do. Ten more minutes? Awesome. We're halfway through. You can interpret that however you want. Before the incident on the sea, Jesus multiplies loaves of bread to feed the 5,000 hungry. And it's a lesson for the disciples. People are hungry. The disciples say, Jesus, send these people away. They're bothering us. I'm paraphrasing. They're bothering us. They're encroaching on our time together. You're supposed to be with us. And now we have to serve all these people. Send them away so they can get something to eat. This is too much. And Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. And they say, we don't have anything. Jesus multiplies the little bit that they have in order to provide for everybody there. Lesson learned by the disciples at that point? No, they still don't get it. Just like us, there's hope for us. We often still don't get it. There's hope. The very next morning, when I started reading this passage, right? The very, very next morning after that, Jesus goes up on the mountain to be by himself to pray to spend time with the Father, to receive the Father's love, right? Jesus is fully divine. Jesus is the second person in the Holy Trinity, but Jesus also is just like us in all things except sin. Jesus is fully human. Sin doesn't define us. Sin is a, a fact of the fall. Jesus goes up to spend time with the Father, to enter into that deep, intimate relationship that will satisfy him because that's who he is. Through our baptism, that's exactly who we are as well. We have to spend that time of quiet with the Lord. Jesus went through an immense amount of suffering in his own life. He was able to persevere through that because he knows the Father's love. So it is with us as well. Jesus is doing all these things to teach the disciples. 
he sends them away in a boat. And then we heard the whole story, right? Right after that, or a little bit after that, it's a whole multiplication of the loaves again. Jesus feeds another 7,000 people with bread that wasn't there before, and he does it through the disciples' hands. He specifically wants his disciples to be the ones that go out and serve, that provide. And of course, the disciples become the first priest. It's Eucharistic imagery. And that's where I'd like to go with all of this, right? Our lives often can be chaotic. Our lives often can be a total mess. From worldly standards, it might look like a total failure. I graduated from the MBA program here. I met one of my graduate buddies on an airplane. And it was almost an empty airplane, right? God orchestrates things. I'm in a habit that's a little bit dirty because I didn't have time to wash it because of what I was doing at the Friary before I left. And he's in a coat and tie, going from a high power position to another high power position. And we're sitting there greeting each other, looking at how our lives went in totally opposite directions. From all these standards, I look like a total loser. Thanks be to God, he doesn't judge by earthly standards. It doesn't matter what our lives look like. It doesn't matter how quiet our lives may be. He's there. So right with this whole Eucharistic imagery, right in the middle of all that chaos, he's there, he's teaching us a lesson. He's teaching us to fly, to trust in his providence, to trust in his relationship with you, that he will take care of you. That story on the water is right in between the two miraculous feedings of bread. And that specifically is to point us towards the Eucharist, right? Jesus took, blessed, broke the bread at the Last Supper. That's the same verbs that happened at the multiplication of the loaves. He took, blessed, broke the bread, gave it to everybody there and fed them. Our Lord is present with us in the Blessed Sacrament. In a few moments, he will come before us. He will be with us in his body, blood, soul, and divinity, because he loves you. Pope Benedict, my hero, writes, God created the whole world simply to have a place to enter into a covenant with man. To put that in the vernacular, it means God created the whole world simply to have a place to give you his love. And that doesn't mean this mass of humanity. That means each one of us in particular, whatever your gifts are whatever your joys are, whatever your struggles and your fears are, God has allowed that at this point in your life for you to learn how to fly with his wind, with his love, to catch you, to hold you. He's created us to change this world of sin, of nastiness, of fallenness, of hatred, of jealousy. But he wants to transform our hearts first. In fact, we cannot do any good in the world whatsoever until we allow him to do the good in our hearts that need to be done. And it can be painful, right? When a house gets renovated, walls have to get knocked down. I get sore from swinging a mallet. Imagine how the wall feels. Sometimes that's what happens to our heart. If we build up walls in our heart that need to come down, sometimes it's a painful process to go through. But the Lord is healing us so that we can heal the world. He heals us through the sacraments above all else. Our God is a God of superabundance. He's not stingy. He gives us more than we can handle at every moment. 
throughout the course of our lives. Quick story to finish with, if I have time. At the wedding feast at Cana, right, our Lord changes the water into wine. There's six stone jars there, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Do the math, six times 30, 180. If I'm wrong, don't embarrass me, just pretend I got it right. That's a lot of wine, and it's the choicest wine. Now, here in South Louisiana, we have wedding receptions. We don't have big 30-gallon jars of wine, but we have kegs <laughs> of beer. And a keg, a full-size keg, uh, is 15 gallons. So if you do the math and you do the alcohol ratio of a choice wine to what a banquet beer would be, or turbo dog. <laughs> when you live with brothers long enough, they learn a little bit of everything about you. Turbo dog is my favorite beer. So if you do the alcohol conversion ratios of all that stuff, it comes out to 72 kegs. Now you can fit about four kegs in garbage cans with ice in the back of a single full-size pickup truck. This is the gospel in vernacular, laugh if you want. <laughs> That's close to two dozen pickup trucks full of reception, festivity, fluids. That's the equivalent to what our Lord did at the wedding feast at Cana in Galilee. Now, don't miss the point. I'm not saying that to get a reaction, although it's good, right? What our Lord did at the wedding feast at Cana is a prefigurement of what will happen at Calvary when his blood will be shed and the sweet wine, which is his blood, will flow freely throughout the face of the planet for the cleansing of our sins, but not only that, for us to receive him in communion that will transform us into the men and the women, the saints that he created us to be. He's not stingy. He doesn't play around. All of this wine was after it had already been drunk. This is extra on top of everything. That's the grace available in the sacraments for us. My life was totally transformed and healed through the grace of confession, through daily mass, spending time in the Adoration Chapel, soaking up the Lord's love for me, working through the issues in my life that had to be worked through, allowing that when I feel like I'm falling, the Lord wasn't pushing me because he wanted me to get out of his way. He was pushing me so that I could learn to allow him to teach me to fly. I couldn't have asked for a better life. According to worldly standards, I got nothing. I'm the richest man on the planet. I've got a God that loves me, who wants a relationship with me, and that's the same exact thing for all of you. Don't sell yourself short, and don't let worldly standards be weeds that choke out the love that God wants to give you. As Father Andrew comes before us tonight with the Blessed Sacrament, give him your troubles. Not Father Andrew, give him your troubles in confession. As our Lord comes before us in the Blessed Sacrament tonight, pour your hearts out to him. Whatever that challenge is in your life, that you feel as if you're being pushed around, let the Lord send his wind so that you may learn to fly. Amen.